Well, if you would again uh, take out your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We will be concluding today our series in Ephesians. Um, We're going to start reading in verse 14. But our focus is going to actually be from 18 to the end of the book. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 14. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Take a kiss, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that, you may enc- that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray now, God, for the preaching of your word. Be with this your servant. We pray that as the word is proclaimed, that we may have ears to hear. That we would have good understanding. We pray that the word is taught faithfully into your glory. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are things that the true church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century America does well. Preaching, singing, Bible study, fellowship. These are all areas, perhaps we could say, of strength of the church. The one area, though, of weakness, in my estimation, is prayer. We don't pray often, and when we do, sometimes we're not actually sure if you believe what we're praying, that God will hear our prayer. And so as we come now to the end of our series in Ephesians, and we've observed in this letter that this is about the church, it's about the unity of the church. 
We enjoy Christian unity with one another because we're united to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and are therefore urged to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. The church has been called to maintain the unity of the Spirit because of the oneness of the body and because of the Spirit, our one hope, our one Lord. We possess spiritual blessings from the heavenly places. We are a body with Christ as our head. We are to deal with one another in unity. We're eager to, eager to maintain peace. For there is a spiritual battle which is occurring all around us. And thus the Christians to stand firm against the spiritual attacks of the enemies, adorning our walk with the armor of God and standing firm together. And it is here, though, that we see a critical piece of the puzzle. One where I think we struggle. It is quite fitting that Paul completes his discussion of spiritual warfare and standing firm by urging the people of God to pray. You see, the armor by itself does not make one a warrior. You may have all the tools of the trade. You may have all of the training. And yet, you may not still have the courage or the strength to fight. The Christian soldier is part of a spiritual army. There are no lone rangers. Or there ought not to be. And so as we're, if we're to stand firm together, if we're to stand firm united together as the people of God, then we must, beloved, stand firm together in prayer. You and I need to pray for one another. We need one another's prayers. I need your prayer. This is a wonderful piece of the unity of the body of Christ, praying for one another. But one which I fear we least utilize to great effect. You see, you and I must recognize that we have no strength within ourselves. We are wholly dependent on our faithful Savior for all that we need. We see this already, don't we? We see this in our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. We have nothing to boast in in ourselves. It is the work of God in us. Because in order to gain entry into the kingdom of God, you and I must possess the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so just as our justification is an act of God's free grace in Christ, so it is that you and I need help from God in our daily walk as we fight our spiritual battles, as we battle against sin, the sin which remains in us, as we seek to reach the lost, as we seek to comfort one another with the gospel as a community of believers, as a body of Christ. If we're to stand together, if we're to gird our loins with the armor, if we're to prepare ourselves, then together we must also cry out together to God, both as individual voices and as a voice in unity together. 
Beloved, we are called to pray to the triune God. In verse 18, as we now get into the text more, verse 18 says we are to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, it should be said that prayer is in and of itself not another piece of the armor. Nor is it a weapon. Rather, the prayer of the saints is the means by which the previously mentioned armor and weapons become effective. We are called to stand together in union with Christ and His church, and we're to stand together, we're to stand firm, we're to stand with the armor, and we're to be praying. It is by prayer that we gird on the truth as a belt. That we put on the breastplate of righteousness. That we bind the shoes gospel readiness. And that we take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. It is through prayer that we wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You and I cannot hope to be effective stewards of the truth of God in evangelism if we don't first begin that operation with prayer. You want to talk to your neighbor about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you praying for your neighbor, first of all? You want to talk to your children about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you praying for your children? Are you praying with your children? You and I can't hope to be effective stewards of God's truth if we don't begin with prayer. We can hope to see sinners repent and turn to God by faith... How will this happen if, not, if we're not praying for that end? It is here, I think, that many of us fall flat. And I say many of us. I'm not saying, I've got this all figured out. And if you'd only be like me, no, no, no. No, I don't pray enough. This is very convicting for me. We fall flat on this. Many of us are ready to take on the world. But we're not starting with prayer. The battle, beloved, is not fought primarily out there in the world. It begins on our knees, in our prayer closets, if you will. We may, see, we may desire to see the lost saved. We may desire to see the world transformed. But are we beginning with prayer? Are we praying to that end? Are we asking God to make these things so? Are we asking God to send workers out into His harvest? Let me ask you a question. Why why is it that we don't begin the battle with prayer? Why is that? The answer, and there's there's plenty of possible answers. This is not exhaustive by any means. You could probably talk to me about other ones you come up with. But one answer is maybe remaining unbelief in our own hearts. Which is to say we fail to pray because we think it doesn't actually matter, that prayer doesn't actually do anything. We fail to believe that God truly hears, that He answers our cry, and that God actually cares about the things we're praying for. We don't believe that sometimes. A beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, hear this. Prayer is the powerhouse of the church. 
Prayer is the powerhouse of the church. Prayer is the means by which God moves and acts through His people. He's pleased to do this. God delights to work through the fervent and earnest prayers of His people to accomplish His will. He wants you to pray for these things. Why don't we? Do you want to see the lost come to faith? Do you want to see that that sin that you're struggling with, that you keep returning to? Do you want to see that sin defeated? Do you want your faith to be strengthened? Do you want your life to be sanctified? Do you want to see churches planted? Do you want to see lives transformed? Then we must pray for these things. We've said the last few weeks about, we've been talking about the spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle which is taking place in your life and in this world. We can't forget this. And so Paul reminds the church that we must pray at all times. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Which is to say that we are to seek our Heavenly Father at every moment of every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to come pleading the righteousness of Jesus. We need to come empowered by the Spirit, which if you're a believer, you have Spirit. And we're to do this at all times. We're to do this constantly. We're to do this without ceasing. In fact, the Scriptures urge us in many different places to be in constant prayer. We're to be in a constant state of prayer, praying at all times. In fact, the spiritual posture that you and I should take at all times and all places is a posture of prayer. Are you always in a state of praying to your Heavenly Father? Do you, do you live your day praying to God throughout? And keep in mind that we cannot engage in the battle alone. We're in a battle, we can't engage in it alone. Remember, there's no low rangers, or there ought not to be. You and I need help. I need help. Now you might say, yes, I need help. I agree with you, Pastor Paul. I need help. This is true. But listen, prayer is hard. Yes, it is. Prayer is hard. It doesn't seem that we... It seems that we pray and that we don't hear an answer. And so what happens is we get discouraged, right? Perhaps this is the reason, or one of the reasons, we don't pray constantly. God doesn't seem like He's hearing me. And I don't believe... Maybe I just don't believe He does. And so I get discouraged. But beloved, remember, Jesus dealt with this. Remember? Jesus reminds us not to lose heart. Remember the parable he told of the widow and the unjust judge? Remember, his disciples, by the way, his disciples, all the, same, all the problems you have, yeah, they had the same problems. They had a hard time praying too. In Luke 18, Jesus tells of a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor respected men. He's a wicked judge. And there's a widow in the city. It says that she kept coming to him, 
saying, give me justice against my adversary. She kept coming and coming and coming. Please give me justice. Please give me justice. And for a while he refused, but after a while he said to himself this. He said, though I, fe- I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Okay, so here this widow, she's very irritating to this, this wicked judge. And finally he says, fine, I'll, I'll give you justice, just stop coming. And the Lord said this, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? Who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Are you discouraged and you're praying? Jesus says, how much is it more true that God is going to grant what you ask? But he also says this, when the Son of Man comes, is he going to find anybody with faith? See, the problem with our prayer life is a lack of faith. If an unrighteous judge can give justice based on the continuing asking of a poor widow, how much more is this true of the righteous judge of the universe? When we plead by His Spirit. Beloved, praying requires faith in the Lord. In fact, it's an area where we exercise that faith. So we're to do this in the Spirit at all times. So what do we pray for? Well, Ephesians 6, 18 says that we're to pray with all prayer and supplication. Okay? Which is to say this, we're to pray for all kinds of things in all kinds of ways. We should pray inwardly. We should pray outwardly. We should pray extemporaneously. We should pray with written out prayers. If you have a hard time remembering things, what, what you ought to be praying for, I mean, this is, by the way, this is one of the reasons why, you know, we give, uh, in our bulletin, we give a, a, you know, weekly prayer sheet. You know, I, I hope that you utilize this. It's hard to remember everything. I mean, by the way, this is mainly for me, so I remember all the things that I want to pray for uh, each week. But if you have a hard time remembering, then write them down. Have, have a prayer journal, have a prayer log. Uh, I've known people that have had whiteboards in their kitchen. I mean, whatever you want to do. However you want to do it. But listen, there's not something special or holy about extemporaneous prayer. In other words, let's just say, if you pray, if you pray extemporaneous, that's wonderful and you, you should. But it's not like, well, I can't just do it off the top of my head, so I won't do it at all. Because I'm just not holy enough, apparently. That's just not true. Write it down, if that's what you need to do. You and I ought to be praying for the needs of the saints and the world and families and nations. Praying for all sorts of things. The prayer which the Christian soldier is to utilize are habitual and constant. The outpouring of the heart which is seeking after God with all prayer and supplication. We're praying for all kinds of people all kinds of situations. Now the word prayer used here has to do with petitions for particular benefits which arise from particular needs. 
So it's, it's something in, like something in particular. So, for instance, we may pray for someone's health if they're sick. Or we may pray for travel mercies for those who are going on a trip. Whatever, some specific need, that's what's in mind here. Now, the other term, supplications, is a general word used for making petitions to God. So we should pray for things specifically, and we should pray for things in a general sense. So we may pray that God's kingdom would come, His will would be done. In this case, we're asking God to act in accordance with His will, both His revealed will and His secret will. And so we are to pray for all kinds of people, all kinds of places and situations. By the way, we see this in other places in Scripture. Uh, First, uh, First Timothy chapter 2, which urges us to pray for all kinds of people, kings, authorities, pray for the good of the church, for the salvation of the lost. We're to do this with thankfulness to God for what He has done. And so our constant prayer for the many needs around us, and by the way, there's no lack of need, is there? I mean, how many of us could really say, well, I would be praying, but you know, I just don't see anything that I need to pray for, right? Really? Nothing? I mean, I don't think there's any of us that say that, right? There's no lack of needs. Pray for all kinds of things. All kinds of needs. In fact, if, if, if we were to say, well, I don't know what to pray for because I don't see where there's a need, it kind of goes to the next part in verse 18, is, is that we're not being watchful then. We're to pray with watchfulness. In verse 18, this is a point the Apostle makes in, in verse 18, it says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. With with supplication for all the saints. So there's an alertness to our prayer life. Think about it this way, you know, there's a sense in which, you know, we're on the battlefield and we're scanning the battlefield, we're observing all the needs all around us and we're calling in help from our Lord and our Master. Our faith-filled and earnest prayers pour forth because we're paying attention We're paying attention to one another. We're paying attention to our own hearts. We're paying attention to the world around us. We're alert. We're watchful. We care about what's happening to our brothers and sisters in the faith. This may be perhaps another reason that we fail to pray. Because we just aren't paying attention. We aren't looking for the needs around us. It's not that we don't care, perhaps. I'm not going to accuse us of not caring. But maybe it's that we're just too busy to notice. Maybe we're too into our own lives to care about all the needs of others around us. And I can just tell you, like, just from being able to have conversations just within our own congregation, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain going on in, in many people's lives. We pray for one another. We need to be paying attention to those things. The alert attitude of prayer can then be contrasted with listlessness and indifference. There are Christians who are asleep on the battlefield while the war is raging around them. I mean, think about the picture there. That's ridiculous. And yet, that's many of us, isn't it? 
This is perhaps like the disciples who fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Jesus tells them, stay awake, be watchful, and they fall asleep. Beloved, we, in, in, in some ways, we, we kind of judge the disciples a little bit. Oh, yeah. no, we're, we're falling asleep. We, we would fall asleep too. In fact, we are falling asleep. The Christian is called to keep alert and pray, making supplication for all the saints, engage in a spiritual warfare, because this war is not a single battle between, a Christ, between the Christian and Satan, but against the powers of darkness and the heavenly places, which is to say that no soldier enters the battlefield alone. This takes us back to what we said before. We're standing firm together. You and I are in this together. Each of us have struggles with sin. Different struggles, admittedly, but each of us struggle, nevertheless. Therefore, it is imperative that we lift one another up in prayer. That we pray particularly for particular needs. But we are united to one another on account of our union with Jesus Christ. We are a body. Christ is the head. He is our Savior. He is the one who has saved us. He is the one who has empowered us by His Holy Spirit. And so we should be praying all kinds of prayer, interceding for one another, interceding for the needs of the saints. The saints here at Covenant Reformed Church, the other believers that you are in various other communities that you're involved in, or brothers and sisters around the world. I want you to note... That our Lord Jesus Christ, during the course of His earthly ministry, held intercessory prayer in very high regard. We see this in numerous examples, but perhaps none is greater than Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. This is where He intercedes on behalf of His disciples. Beloved, Jesus is the great interceder. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25 And since Jesus is the great intercessor, we, His people, ought ought to intercede for one another, knowing that our Savior is already interceding for us, which is to say that you and I can pray with confidence, knowing this, that our prayers are being heard. Jesus is bringing your prayers before the Father. He is interceding on your behalf. Do you believe that to be true? So here's the point. We're to pray unceasingly. We're to pray in the Spirit. We're to pray for all kinds of things and people. We're to persevere in our prayer. We're to make intercession on behalf of the saints for any need that may arise. Because we are engaged in a spiritual battle together as Christians. So let's pray for their protection. Let's pray for their success as they wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which actually brings us now to our next point, is that we should pray for the advancement of the Gospel. This is one specific area that Paul gives us that we should be praying for. Just as our Lord did, the Apostle Paul understood the importance of of the ministry of intercessory prayer. 
Which is why he frequently requested it for himself. Paul constantly is asking churches to pray for him. Please pray for me. He's not only asked the Ephesians to pray unceasingly for all kinds of things in a general way, but he requested that they remember him specifically as he proclaims the mystery of the gospel as an ambassador in chains. Now I want you to notice something here. Paul does not ask the Ephesians to pray for his temp- temporal comforts. He doesn't say, you know, um, hey, could you pray that I get released from prison? He doesn't ask for that. He doesn't pray, you know, could, I, could you pray for me to have a softer pillow in the cell? He's not praying for that either, right? He's a prisoner as he writes this letter. And yet he does not ask for prayer for deliverance from this situation. He does not ask for his life to be improved in prison. What he asks is that they pray for the preaching of the gospel. That's what he prays for. How often do we pray for that? How often do you pray for preaching? When you enter into your prayer closet as it were, do you pray for the preaching and teaching ministry of Covenant Reform Church? Do you pray for the gospel to be carried forth from this place into our community and to the nations? What a fantastic prayer that would be for this church, for any church. Beloved, pray for me, please. Pray for me as a minister of the gospel. Pray for my weekly preparations. Pray for interactions that may come each week. Pray that the gospel would be clearly proclaimed and faithfully taught. Pray that I may have opportunities to teach the gospel to many in the community, including the lost. Pray that lives would be transformed in West Plains. Pray that the converted, or that the lost would be converted to Christ. Pray for the gospel. Pray for gospel ministry. Christians ought to pray for one another this way, so that the mysteries of the gospel may be made known. So Paul, he desired for divine assistance in his ministry. You know, you think about it, Paul, it's like, well, he's, I mean, uh, Dean said this earlier in Sunday school, I mean, he's the greatest missionary, right? He's the greatest evangelist. Paul needs prayer? Yeah, he asked for it. He's an apostle. He needed prayer. We should all desire this for the work of the church. If we want to see the church grow, if we want to see disciples made the beloved, we must pray for it. We have to pray for it. Oh, that the good news of Jesus Christ's sacrificial death for dead and lost sinners, for His resurrection from the dead and victory over sin and death may be made known. That sinners may repent and believe, turning to Jesus for salvation of their souls. Oh, that God would send His Holy Spirit and regenerate the hearts of many. This is our prayer. And what Paul is asking for here in terms of prayer is also what Jesus Himself said we need to be praying for. Paul was praying that his mouth may be opened, that words would be given, that he would proclaim the good news to the lost. You and I also need to pray for gospel preachers. Pray for 
gospel to be preached. Jesus instructed this in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 38. Um, also a text, the first sermon I preached here was Matthew 9. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into his harvest. That's the prayer we need to be praying for. We need to be praying for ministers of the gospel. This is, in fact, a very specific prayer for our own denomination right now. Having gone to the, the Foreign Missions Conference in Philadelphia, the, the one thing I think we all walked away with is this. There is a great need for missionaries to serve in different lands right now. Specifically, we're praying for four new missionaries. We need missionaries in Haiti, in Uganda, in Uruguay. We, need, we also need workers to plant churches in America. Beloved and people of God, pray for God to send out workers to His harvest. Because the harvest is His. Pray that God will send workers out into His harvest. Pray for missionaries. Pray for pastors to be raised up. Now Paul was a laborer in the harvest of God. And he points out that he was an ambassador in chains. Now what does this mean? What does it mean to be an ambassador in chains? Well, we know what an ambassador is. An ambassador is one who, is, who represents one kingdom or nation to another. So, you know, for instance, when the United States sends out an ambassador to another nation, that ambassador speaks for the head of state, which in our case, of course, is the president. But in other contexts, other nations, it may be a king or a queen or whatever their governing authority is. An ambassador, then, is one through whom a sovereign speaks. And so Paul, as a minister of the gospel, and an an apostle, was an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Christ spoke to his people through him. The gospel minister is one who represents Christ, who is the King of Kings, and whose kingdom is not of this world, but is of heavenly places. And so Paul, as an ambassador, as a gospel minister, he was a representative of the kingdom of light in this present darkness. This is how Paul saw his ministry. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. This is what, this is what the minister of the gospel does. Makes an appeal, God working through him. Making the appeal to the sinner, know Jesus, be reconciled to God. And so the, the, the minister of Christ is called to speak in the name of Christ and to bring uh, before men and women the terms of reconciliation. In this sense, it's what the evangelist does is he declares, he declares the terms of surrender. The sinner is in rebellion against God. The terms are to repent and believe, be reconciled to God, and receive the benefits of justification, adoption, and sanctification. The alternative, to reject that, is to continue under the wrath and curse of God. This is what the evangelist does. He brings the terms of surrender. You have the great king, here's the terms, repent and believe. The world must, uh, it must be urged to accept the terms of salvation and be reconciled to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came into the world to defeat sin and death through His death and resurrection. 
All who trust and rest in Him have the redemption that He purchased. As they trust and rest in Him, they will be saved. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so when the Word of God is proclaimed, bringing the good news, an ambassador is speaking on behalf of God, bringing the gospel message, bringing the terms of the terms of surrender, if you will. And the true ambassador only speaks what God has spoken first. He doesn't speak anything else. If he's a true ambassador of Christ. The Apostle Paul was an ambassador of Jesus Christ, but he was not free in his movements. Paul was locked with iron chains. He was in prison. He was an ambassador in chains. Nevertheless, he was representing Jesus. You see, as I've already mentioned, he did not ask for a release because he understood this was God's calling on his life. There are people in that place who need the good news of the gospel. There are people in prison today who need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul asks for, and what we ought to ask for too, are opportunities to speak with boldness. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles had given way to a ministry to the imprisoned. And to his prison guards too, by the way. And even now, among, in our own time, there are great opportunities to minister to those who are incarcerated, for they too need the message of hope which comes through Jesus. And, and by the way, there are many ministries um, that do this very thing. In some cases, are training men to become ministers in prison. Seminaries in prison. Pray for these ministries. Well, as Paul now comes to the conclusion of his letter, he wanted to leave the church with some encouragement. He gives them some news, and, so, and he explains his reason for sending Tychicus in verse 21. And he assures them that he will, that Tychicus will tell them everything concerning how he's doing, etc. He doesn't write it all in here. So Tychicus is sent to the Ephesians probably to relieve some of their anxiety. I mean, they're worried about Paul. He wants them to know that he is doing well. He's healthy. He wants his friends to know. So Tychicus was a beloved brother, a faithful minister. Paul says that he was a fellow laborer for the gospel. Now, we don't really know a lot about Tychicus other than he accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys. That he was a minister. He was sent by Paul to Ephesus. And he probably carried this letter with him as he went. His purpose, though, was to encourage the church on Paul's situation and to help them understand the purpose of his suffering for the gospel. And so he came to encourage them. And certainly news as to Paul's well-being was of great importance and concern. I mean, when we have friends who are suffering, we want to know, right? That, that often happens, you, you know, particularly with prayer requests. You all want to know well, what happened. Right? So it's good. It's good to be concerned. Paul actually already addressed this earlier in Ephesians 3.13. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering, for which is your glory. 
Don't lose heart over it, he says. We may suffer in this world, but God has purposes in it. 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Paul concludes his letter to, to the Ephesians with this, with peace and grace. He says, Peace be to the brothers in love of faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May peace come to you, brothers. May you increase in love and faith. This is Paul's prayer for them and his blessing, his benediction. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And so, as always, the apostle returns to Christ, desiring divine favor on those who love Jesus. Again, reminding them of the everlasting and incorruptible love of Christ for his people. It reminds me of Paul's words in Romans chapter 8 where he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in Christ, if you're in union with Him, then you should understand that nothing can separate you from His love. His love for you cannot be changed. This is, this is the comfort of the Gospel, isn't it? That the one who bought you with the price of His own blood also keeps you and loves you. And by the way, intercedes for you and hears your prayer. Ephesians has been about the unity of the body and our union with Christ. We belong to Jesus. And this is informative, I think, for our our everyday life. Here we are in the midst of a church plant. God has been so good to us. Um, We heard the announcement of a new challenge that we have. We might also say an opportunity. But God has been good. I mean, there are many here today who were not here a year ago. There are many here today who weren't even here six months ago. And just as we've been called to union with Christ, we're also called to be united together as the body of Christ. We're co-belligerents in spiritual warfare. We are soldiers together. And so we must pray. We must pray for one another. We must pray for all people. We pray for the furtherance of the gospel. We pray for workers to be sent out to the harvest. We pray for God's grace in each other's lives. My desire for us would be that we would be a people of prayer. God has so graciously saved us from our sin. May we continually exercise our faith through fervent prayer. So pray for your elders. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the gospel to be heard. Pray for faith to come to the lost. I pray that Covenant Reformed Church would be known as a church which diligently and earnestly prays.
May God be pleased to grow his church by adding to the number, but also by growing us in our prayer, that we would be faithful ambassadors to this dark and fallen world who bring tidings of great joy. What wonderful benefits are ours in Jesus. The good news that we have, the good news that we want to share, that God would send workers into his harvest. And Maybe even that God would send you to share that news. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for this reminder of needing to pray at all times. We thank you also for the reminder of your Spirit, which is our, in us that we are empowered by your Spirit. And so we pray that we would be people of prayer. We pray that we would pray more. We pray, God, for your Gospel, that you would be pleased to use this congregation for the advancement of your Kingdom. That you would grant to us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. We also pray that you would grant us opportunity to repent and believe. And so we pray for the, in, in the general sense, for our own sanctification. We pray for each of us as we struggle in various ways in the Christian walk. We pray that you would help us. We pray that we may be watchful. That we may notice the struggles that are in each other's lives. And that we would pray for one another. That we would comfort one another in your gospel. And that Jesus would be glorified. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.